kind of in a middle type series. That means we're kind of squishing between the big series that we're doing. We just finished with Go Big. I got a, a big Ashes to Fire series. It's going to kind of start with Ash Wednesday. But we're kind of in, in the middle and, and still swamped with trip stuff and wild games and all these different things going on. And I was really kind of behind and just being in prayer about what uh, I wanted to, or God wanted me to talk to you guys about. And just in prayer last week and kind of just one of those things where he hits you and it's, I want you to talk about me. Okay. Good. That gives me a lot of direction. Thanks. Uh, and so really what we're going to do in the next three weeks, we're going to talk about God. And um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of uh, talk about who he is. In the next couple weeks we're going to talk about uh, his sovereignty. We're going to talk about the God who restores. Um, and so today we're going to talk about the Trinity and that might sound really simple and really theological, and it is. Uh, you know, last month we talked about this idea of go big. It was really all about challenging you guys and uh, outward focus, you know, getting you guys to look elsewhere. And so this topic of God uh, or, you know, the Trinity tonight is a little bit more upward focused. It's focused on God, and it's not so much a challenging message as it is an educational message. So you guys will learn today. Those aren't always the most fun. Those aren't the, the ones with the big altar calls where everyone's life is changed. But hopefully you guys will get a lot of good stuff um, out of this. All right? And so it's easy for us to say, okay, this is stupid. I know this. I've heard this before. Things like that. Um, but I want you guys to think of this as fundamentals. All right? And so... You know, even though it's something simple, fundamentals are always incredibly, incredibly important. I'm, does anyone play basketball? Okay, uh, a couple of you guys. And so, so you guys play basketball, and you're on your basketball team, and so how many of you guys go to practice when you don't have games? You go to practice, all right. Practice. Practice, right? And so you go to practice, and so you go to practice, and what if you showed up and the coach was like, all right, first day of practice, you know, we'll do some dribbling, and we'll do some passing, we'll do some shooting, but then, you know, later on, kind of in the middle of the season, and you get to practice, like, Coach, like, all right, all we're going to do is alley-oops today. And we're like, Coach, we can't, we're white, we can't even jump that high. Like, what are you talking about? Like, we're we're going to work on alley-oops all day long, and for two hours, you just tried to throw oops to each other, and then you got more to you, all, all reverse dunks. Like, that would be pretty stupid, right? I mean, you'd be like, you've got to be kidding me. Or, like, well, how many people play soccer? I guess we got a lot of people in class here. So you get in the middle of your season, the coach is like, all right, today we're going to bicycle kicks. And we're just going to do this all practice long. And if you can do this in the game, we might lose. We might not be able to pass or dribble good. But if you do a bicycle kick and score, we will be the coolest looking team that there ever was. And so the point is that uh, we, even though you know it's, it's kind of cool to spend some time in some of these big, lofty things, it doesn't make sense to practice bicep kicks and alley-oop all the time. And if you've ever gone to practice basketball, you know how to dribble, but guess what? You're going to learn to dribble. You know how to pass a soccer ball, but every practice, guess what? You're going to learn to practice. So the fundamentals, I want you guys to think of it that way, is even though this may be something you might know, you're going to learn something new, you're going to pick some stuff. I know I did even kind of uh, going into this. Uh, series And so that's what we're going to be covering over the next couple uh, weeks is just this topic of God. We're going to look at his sovereignty. 
and what that means in our lives. You might not even know what that word means, so make sure you come back next week if you don't. Uh, and then we're going to look at his restoring qualities, uh, but today we're going to look at the Trinity. And so, you know, that might sound pretty simple. You, you may think, okay, Trinity, I get it, God, three persons, I've heard that uh, before. But it's really actually very fundamental to our faith and who we are as Christians, as the Christian faith. The Trinity is something that kind of marks us and sets us apart. See, you have, you know, Muslims, they believe in Jesus. He's a real person. But where they'll differ is they'll say, well, well Jesus wasn't, wasn't God. Are you kidding me? That doesn't make any sense. You, you Christians are so foolish to think that Jesus was God. You guys are so dumb. They'll say that. You can look at uh, like Jehovah's Witnesses, the people that knock on your door. They're all about Jesus. They will give you a Bible. However, they do not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. They do not believe that he was actually the Son of God. And so the Trinity is actually very important to what we believe. And I've heard so many, to be honest, I've heard lots of adults that, um, and these are people that I respect in the church that are on certain you know, ministry teams and different things. I've heard them say things just... You know, even theologically, that I'm like, whoa, that, that doesn't make any sense what you just said. And so I thought it was important for you as, as junior highs and high schoolers that we kind of go over these fundamentals uh, a little bit tonight. And so, uh, to be honest, uh, the word Trinity is not in your Bible. And I don't know if you know that. It's, you can't find it. And so these people, that t- there's, there's tons of pe- people that will say, you know, the Trinity's not real, that doesn't make sense, Jesus is just a prophet. Yada, yada, yada. But I want to assure you guys today that even though it's not in the Bible, that this is not a big deal. The Trinity is absolutely taught in Scripture. Did someone get, oh, usually someone gets me my water. Did someone get me my water? Thanks, dude. Three minutes in and I'm already uh, drying up here. Running out of uh, spit. So, like I said, um, you look at Scripture, the word Trinity is not in there. But you find evidence all over Scripture that yes, God is one in three persons. In Matthew 28, as he's giving the Great Commission, he goes and he says, baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis, you read in Genesis 1, God said, let us, plural, let us make man in our image. And so you see these different evidences of the Trinity all over the place. And so many people have used all these different ways to explain the Trinity. Maybe you've seen them in a, an example. and So I'm going to go over some of these real quick with you. Have you guys ever seen in Sunday school, have you done like the, the ice? I brought a cube of ice, but it didn't work. So right now it started as the Holy Spirit, but now we're on to God. Oh, no, wait, wait. The ice cube was... The point is, these, 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 these analogies really, like, they're good to kind of like tell like a five-year-old, but really as you get older, they don't really... They don't really cut it, right? And so the, the analogy of water is that, you know, water is all water, whether it's gas, whether it's evaporated, whether it's a cube, or whether it's liquid, but yet it's, it's all water. And so even, even though God is God the Spirit and God the Son and God the Father, there's, there's, He's still one. And so then you have the analogy of the egg. And so you can say, well, this is one egg. And, you know, you break, ooh, that's all right, this cup is nasty enough, I didn't know that, so. I made it clear. And so you have the yolk, the, I don't really eat or cook eggs, and so what's the middle stuff called? 
Oh, what's the yellow thing called? The yellow. No, so what's the the, the white? Not the white. I don't cook. Julie does most of that for me. And so then you got the shell, and there's these different. Actually, I do scramble eggs a lot. So the whites, the yolk, and the uh, yeah, you got that analogy. People will talk about. You have the um, the three leaf clover, and this is actually you guys have ever heard of St. Patrick. You know, he's got a day, St. Patrick's Day. I'm assuming you've heard of him. Anyone out there? Yeah. And so he's got his own day. And it's actually funny. I was reading about St. Patrick the other day. He's not even Irish. Did you know that? And so I can't wait to all my friends that go out and party and they love St. Patrick's Day. I can't wait to ruin it for them. I'm like, dude, just so you know, the guy's not Irish. He was English. He was actually uh, taken over, uh, captive by Irish pirates and made a slave. And he was an Englishman. He went home, finally was free, and he went to go preach to, to the people in Ireland. So you're saying, wait a minute, what does that have to do with the Trinity? He, he took the clover, and that was his way of going back to Ireland and preaching, and he took the clover, and, he, and that was his way, and what he was, how he became famous is he, he used that to kind of explain what the Trinity is all about, using the three different clovers. And so you have all these different things. You could use a rope, you know, and you could say, well, it's one rope, but it's got different strands, but it's all one rope in the end. But all these things kind of fall short of what it really means to understand the triune God because you take the water and it can't be all of them at the same exact time. It's always going to be one thing or another. A, a, a cord can be unraveled into three separate pieces, but yet God is always each part and they are all equal. The best analogy that I can give you to help it make sense is, is this. If you take... Take myself, for example, and right now I am Pastor Matt, okay? That's the role that I am fulfilling to you guys right now. However, that's not the only thing that I do, not the only thing I'm called. I am also called uh, Julie's husband, all right? And so that's one role that I have. Soon I will be my baby's daddy, be a baby daddy. And uh, so I'll have that role, you know, on the softball team, I'm the right fielder. And so that's my title, and the thing I do... Every once in a while when I'm doing good, I get to bat lead off, but not lately. And so that's a title, and I don't, I don't know what other titles I could have, but all these different things. And does that mean I'm a, a schizophrenic because I have all these different personalities? No, not, not at all. But I'm the same person, I have these different roles. And that's kind of the best way to explain God, but even that doesn't really match. And I want to read you guys a quote by, uh, by John Wesley. It says this, Give me a worm that can comprehend a man, and then I will show you a man that can comprehend the triune God. So I'm going to read it one more time. Give me a worm that can comprehend a man. You think he'd be able to understand me? In the same way, do you think that we could understand the triune God? Now I know there's two camps that kind of look at the Trinity. There's people that's kind of, they go overboard with that quote and be like, the, the Trinity is so complex that it's just, we have no way of understanding it. And then, they'll say, yeah, it's difficult to understand, but God gives us insights all throughout Scripture that helps us understand. And that's kind of approach we're going to take uh, to it tonight. And my goal tonight isn't to kind of examine all the intricacies theologically and bore you to death, uh, but my goal is to kind of take a look at God the Father God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and really break down uh, some of these things and areas for you, all right? And so we're going to start off with God the Father. We're going to start in an appropriate place. The 
Excuse me. The most important part of the Trinity. The most important part of the Trinity is God the Father. So I didn't get any weird looks. I wonder if Pastor's back there. He might be looking at me. And he might know that that's incorrect. That's what you would call Unitarianism. And I think I said that right. It's a big word. God the Father, a lot of times, people will look at as kind of the, the head of, of the triune God. Like, he's it. But the truth is, they are all equal. God the Father isn't any more important than any of the other parts. And so we're going to look at this, and, and we look at God the Father, and I want to talk about Him for just a few minutes. And for many of us, this idea of Father kind of sparks these, these memories in our heads, and we can correlate to our loving, heavenly, uh, our earthly Father. And some of you have had dads where you can be like, yeah, my dad's like that. You, you heard stories about God growing up and how He's loving and caring. You can say, yeah, you know, I get that. My dad's like that. But I know for a lot of us, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm sure many of you have gone uh, through this lifetime, and you can't really say that your earthly dad has been a good example of what or who the Heavenly Father is to you. You've had dads that haven't been there, that haven't really cared, and they haven't been around, and so it gives us kind of an incorrect view of who God is. And personally, I believe, you know, as you look at the statistics and you saw, how many people saw the Courageous movie that came out not so long ago? You see this movie come out, it's all about dads. And, and dads really engaging their kids. And it talks about some of the statistics of what happens when dads aren't in the home. And I, I firmly believe that this is one area, especially in our culture today, that the devil is just attacking and attacking and tearing down dads so that people, so that you guys have an incorrect view of your Heavenly Father. And so if you don't have a good father that you can kind of relate to, I'll, I'll show it. Luckily for me, I'm very blessed that I had a great dad. Um, and, and for a lot of these things we're going to talk about, I can give you a story of kind of a way my dad fit this role and kind of explain to me who God was. So if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to look at a bunch of characteristics of what makes a good father. And I'm just curious, I want to ask you guys, just to kind of raise your hand, I want to get a couple good qualities of a good father. Anyone have a good dad? John. Loving. Loving, okay. Pretty good. Good listener. Always there. Supporting. Okay, good. We got any more? Got a bunch of mediocre dads out there? What? <laughs> Just kidding. All right, we'll, we'll move on. I will, I will kind of fill in those blanks for you guys. So we look at the Heavenly Father, and we look at these characteristics that a good father should have and to kind of teach us of who God is. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles, I want you guys to look up Matthew 6.32. And the first thing a good father does is he cares for us. And God's care is amazing. In, in, in verse 6.32, it says, Pagans run after earthly things, but your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. And in that part of Scripture, Jesus is telling you, like, look, you don't need to fill your life with all sorts of stuff. You don't need to worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to live. I know that you need them, and I will supply those things for you. So not only does he care about your needs, he just simply cares. He cares. A lot of things, you know, God's so big, we think. We think that he's so grand, and there's so many other issues going on in the world. 
that he can't possibly care about me or the little thing that's going on in my life. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And I was ex extremely excited to kind of do this uh, series, do this lesson, do this kind of teaching because, as many of you know, Julie is uh, not far off uh, from having our baby. I'm going to be a dad really soon. And a lot of my quiet time, a lot of my prayer time has been really just kind of wanting to know what God expects of me as a dad, as a father, what that looks like. And so I couldn't wait to kind of get into the series and look at who God the Heavenly Father is and so that I can kind of correlate to my own life. And I begin to think of a God that cares, who, who knows what you need and will provide for you. And I begin to think of how I'm already starting to do that in my own life. Me and Julie had our baby shower uh, this past Saturday. And I cannot tell you the amount of stuff that we have for this baby already. And my, my baby will not go without a single need. I mean, it has more toys than it needs. It has more uh, outfits than it needs. It has these things. I, I was opening box after box. And I'm like, I don't even, Julie, what is, thank you for the, I don't even know what half these things do. And it's, it's ridiculous. It was crazy. I, my house is doubly full now for our baby. And I begin to think about, you know, there would never be a time where I would let my child go without something that it needs. If it needs food, if it needs clothes, if it needs comfort, care, I would be there for my baby in an instant. And I can't wait to do that. In the same way, God, our Heavenly Father, cares. He cares so much and so deeply about you and what you're going through. Second thing a good father does is he supports you. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And God's support is amazing. And a lot of times we feel like, you know, God's, God's not with me right now. We kind of feel distant. And our God is a mighty God. I hope you know that. I hope you know as, as God the Father that He is strong. I was talking to Julie the other day and I looked at her and I said, man, I cannot wait to get my daddy strength. And she looked at me and she was like, what? What is daddy strength? I'm like, are you kidding me? You don't know what daddy strength is? Like, daddy strength is just this thing that all dads get and you become way stronger. And she's like, okay. I'm like, it's true. It's real. How many, how many people are dads in here? Look, people, look at these dads. First of all, you don't know why, but dads are just strong people. I would not want to mess with any dad in here because dads, it's a magical thing, are stronger. Daddy's strength is real. Look it up on urbandictionary.com. <laughs> also under father's strength. Okay, there are entries. This daddy strength thing is real. I'm not crazy. And, and I can't wait for it. I know I can't wait. I know we, on the softball team we got a bunch of new dads, and they all. Man, I'm some. There's a new dad. They're like, dude, I can't wait to hit softballs because I got my daddy strength now. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be able to hit them off further. And obviously, I don't know. That's never really happened. But the point is, man. If we think, you know, when you're a kid, think of your earthly dad. And when you're so young, man, that guy, he can. Your earthly dad, you, you think he can lift anything. I mean, he's just the most strong person in the world. How much more is our Heavenly Father there to support us, to raise us up, hold us in His right arm? He's mighty. The third thing a good dad does is he comforts us. 
And as I think of our Heavenly Father, you know, especially in times when our earthly dads fail, He kind of can step in in, in in justice and take that role upon Himself. In 2 Corinthians 1.3, if you're following along and taking notes, you can jump to that verse. It says, Praise be to God and Father, uh, God, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with comfort we ourselves have received from God. And I don't know about you, but there's been all kinds of times in my life where you just don't understand what's going on. You're hurt, you're broken, tears are coming down. And at that moment, you can say, God, where are you? Why aren't you here? Why didn't you stop this? Or you can realize that that's what God's for. Is during that time, you are going to experience pain, and you can run, and He will always be right there waiting for you. I, I think, uh, you know, I don't know how I'm going to handle it, but they, they say you're, not, you're supposed to let your baby cry sometimes. And, and I don't know how I'm going to do that, because my baby's crying. All I want to do is run to it, hold it, rock it back and forth, Run around, do whatever, do whatever I can to tell that baby it's okay. It's okay. Stop crying. I'm going to want to comfort that all the time, unless it's really late at night. Then I'm like, Julie, your turn. Go, <laughs> go get the baby. So we have God's care, God's support, God's comfort, God's faithfulness is next. God's faithfulness, and I can remember just a quick story about, um, you know, my own dad. Many of you have heard my testimony and. Uh, Early college years, I did some pretty stupid things, and it ended up uh, in the expulsion of the living at my parents' house. I got kicked out. So, <laughs> and uh, they weren't too happy about that. And I remember, it was like the next day, and my, my dad was scared. We were not on speaking terms. I was scared. I was like, I, I, I mean, I was more sad and disappointed that I disappointed him than scared. But... You know, my dad's faithfulness meant that no matter what I did, no matter how stupid of things I did, he was going to be there for me. The next day, he calls me up. He's like, you're ready for work. I'm like, what? You don't even want to talk to me now. You want me to come work? He's like, yeah, you're gonna, you need to work. You need to make some money. You need to have a job, right? I was like, yeah. And that was the most awkward day. When I, when I, probably one of the most awkward days of my life where my dad just kicked me out and I show up to work and I'm like, hey. It's like, all right, you know, get, get working. We didn't talk much. It took some time for that to heal, but he, he didn't care. He was faithful to me and he knew kind of that I needed him. And he was faithful. I mean, he, no matter what, he should have, I, I, I remember just, like, I hung up the phone. I was like, really? That doesn't make any sense. I remember one time when I was uh, I was really young, and I was sitting on my back watching television, and I don't know what I was watching, but um, back when TVs used to be really big and not flat, and uh, I remember my dad telling me, back up, don't kick the TV, and I remember, uh, whatever, I didn't, didn't really listen, and I kicked the TV, and the whole thing fell and cracked and broke, and I was like, ooh, not good. Not good. And I remember, you know, we see ground A furious screaming at me. I don't know if you guys know my dad. I wish I would have brought a picture of him. But it was well known with my friends that he did not want to make Carlo mad. When Carlo got mad, it was bad. Like, yeah, I, 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 I could tell you many stories of my friends, like, running out of my house without their shoes on because they knew it was about to go down. They could tell you some stories like, oh, hey, Matt, I got to go. I'll see you later. Um, and so it was not a good thing. 
But I remember just in tears, and I was he, for some reason I was in their bedroom, probably because there were no toys or anything in that bedroom, because he was smart, you know. A lot of you guys get grounded in your bedroom, so I was like, whatever, I got my phone, you can do whatever you want. But I got grounded in their bedroom, and I remember just, he was so mad at me and screaming at me, and a few minutes later, he just came, and one of his favorite things to do was have good and plenty. And he just, he gave me a handful on the bed. And I was like, you're giving me candy? He's like, shh, don't tell your mom. I'm still mad at you. And he left. But that was just a sign of like, man, I still love you. Even though you screwed up, you're punished. But here, here you go. I still love you. I'm faithful to you no matter what you do. That will never change. Last thing, I mean, I'm sure there's a hundred different things, but I couldn't preach all night. Is God's instruction that makes a good dad. Psalms... <laughs> I have 832 in my notes, but it's probably 32. Psalm 32a, I will instruct you and teach you in a way that you should go. And, and to me as an earthly dad, looking at kind of how the Heavenly Father instructs us, this is the thing I'm most excited for. I mean, I cannot wait to instruct my little baby. I, I get to make a protege me. And I told you last, I don't care if it's a girl or a boy. But I kind of want to have a boy just because I feel like I would have more responsibility in shaping it into a man. And I don't know about you guys, but I feel like maybe, maybe it's because I have a date on the way, but I, every time I turn on the TV, they're like, there was a study show that blah, 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 you know, this percent, if you do this, then your baby will have that. And so I'm beginning to like overanalyze everything. I don't know how I'm going to raise my kid because there's a study for everything. And I don't know if I, if I, if I hug him too much, is he going to be a wimp? Or if I, if, I, if I help him too much, is he going to be not strong? And if I do too many things for him, is he going to be dumb because he doesn't think for himself? And I really have no, I'm going to have, it's going to be so hard for me to figure out what I should do with the baby. And so I guess that's why people have multiple babies. So if you screw up with one, you can just, how many people, how many people are the, the uh, oldest child? Do your parents ever say like, oh, well, we just kind of messed up with you? Does anyone ever say that? No? Okay. Well, hopefully I don't have to say that. But that's what I'm most excited for, is just to be able to instruct my child. Like, I can't wait. And so for you guys, God the Father is someone who's willing to instruct you, to guide you, to say, hey, this is the way you should go. Watch out. That's dangerous. Don't step your foot there. Uh, he wants to protect you. He wants to guide and direct your steps. God is the ultimate Father. For those of us who have earthly dads that maybe have let us down and have failed, he is that father figure. He is that person that's going to give you care, support, comfort, faithfulness, and instruction. And so that's the first part of this trinity, God the Father. As we move on, we have God the Son. And this is where theologically a lot of people start to, start to mess things up a little bit. It's important to note that Jesus is not separated from God. Okay. Understand this. He is God. Jesus is God. Jesus wasn't created when he was born at Christmas in the manger. That wasn't the first time Jesus showed up on the scene. Jesus was there at creation. And I, again, I, I've ta- the reason I'm teaching this is because I've talked to many adults that have said, well, oh, Jesus was... He wasn't around until he was born. Like, what? No, that's not true. That's not, Jesus is God. You have to understand that if you're going to stand the Christian faith. And what we believe about Jesus is crucial and grounds us what we believe about Christianity. 
And so I want to break this down, talk about what Scripture says. I want to go to the book of John, if you guys uh, have your Bibles, book of John. John's pretty much the authority on Jesus and all things theological. And so we're going to spend a few minutes there talking about Jesus and who he is in regards to the triune of God tonight. In John uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Now it's a little bit of a tongue twister. I'm going to read it one more time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made. And so you, you, you do a, a, a word study on what the word means. And it means a lot of things. In, in scripture, God's word is, is commonly referred to as his, his physical word. His spoken word. Generally, the words that were used to, in creation. God spoke, let there be, and it was. And so there's that example of the word. You have the word meaning God's perfect standard, meaning if you break kind of God's laws, like, oh, you did something against the word, what God's standard of righteousness is. Okay, that's another way the word is used. It could be simply God's message to people, whether it be scripture or whether a prophet giving you God's word, his message to people. But in this instance, it's a little bit different. See, in that time, John's writing to you specifically to, to, to really... Uh, grasp that the, the audience, the, the Jews would understand this to mean something significant. The Greeks would understand this to mean the highest realm of philosophy and, and uh, thought and astronomy. The word was final. The word was all powerful. Okay, And so for John to say that Jesus was the word was pretty impactful. And you don't really figure out if there you do figure out in that verse, but if you have it, if you're reading it and you really have kind of some doubts of what Jesus is saying about God and who they were together, he clears it up in verse 14. He says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So he talks about the word and what the word did. He said the word was Jesus, he became a man. And so for people back in that day, that didn't make sense. For this highest idea in philosophy to be made human. I mean, humans couldn't attain this type of godliness. It didn't make sense. But that's exactly what John writes. And again, as I told you, many people believe different things about who Jesus was, but Jesus is expressively saying that he became flesh and he is the son of God. So if you're confused about the Trinity, and, well, how can God be Jesus and Jesus be God and all this different thing? That's okay because the disciples were equally confused and they were hanging out with Jesus 24-7. So if you guys have your Bible, go to John 14. We're going to kind of take a look at this. And this is, Jesus is even trying to explain to them, to the disciples. Remember, the disciples have been hanging out with Jesus and he's teaching them about who he is. I'm sorry, I'm in 14. John 14. And you have the disciples there. You have Peter, you have Thomas, you have Philip. 
asking some questions. Jesus is getting, he's telling them, hey guys, I'm about to leave. I'm about to be crucified. I want to get you guys prepared. Simon Peter says, where are you going? Why, why do you got to leave, Jesus? Jesus says, what do you mean, where am I going? Or he says, where, am I, where I am going, you can't follow me, but you will follow later. Peter's like, why can't I follow you? I'll lay, I'll lay my, down my life for you. See, Peter didn't, or Peter didn't get it. Jesus was going to die on the cross. He was going to sit at the right hand of God, the Father. He goes on. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Thomas is like, boom, you're leaving? I don't get it. Where, where are you going? Jesus answers one of the most famous scriptures, and this is crucial to who Jesus said he was. He says, I, Jesus says, okay, I know you say you don't know the way, you don't know how to get to me, so if I leave, you're going to be lost. But he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Philip said, Lord, okay, okay you said you're, you're leaving. That's fine. You can go ahead and leave. But before you, oh man, before you leave, just show us the Father and that will be enough. Like you're, you're going away, show us the Father and then we'll, everything will be good. Jesus looks at him and says, Philip. Don't you know me? Even after I have been among you for such a long time. Basically saying, seriously, Philip, do you not understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you are not just my own, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And so you see right there that Yes, in the Trinity, God, His Son, Jesus, is God. Not just a separate entity, that's God in the flesh. And so the big thing about who Jesus is, and the, we talked about how Heavenly Father and all these things that uh, make a difference in our life, the care, the comfort, the different things. And Jesus, the reason He's so important, yes, because He died, He he. he, he through him we're forgiven of our sins. But the, the big deal is that he bridged the gaps to God. Jesus now gives us access to the Father. And let me explain it like this. If you want to go to the White House and you want to see the President, you're going to walk up to the White House, you're going to get a couple steps, and you're going to get taken down. You're going to get tackled. You're going to get a guard. Or you just won't be able, to get, be able to look in. You won't get very far. That's just how it is. You just can't go up to the president and say what you want. Well, we, back in the day before Jesus, you couldn't just go up to God and just say whatever you wanted. You had to go through a priest. As Jesus comes, he becomes our high priest. And he says, through me, I will grant you access to God. And in the same way, if you want to go see the president, it's like knowing a Secret Service guy. When you get up to that gate, and your boy's like, oh, hey, yo, Aaron, come on in. You can talk to the president because you know me. You know me, and he's clear. He's good. And so knowing Jesus is like, you know, you, we can go before God, and God says, come, come to me in the name of Jesus. He's like your, your hookup. All right? Does that make sense to you guys? And so the reason Jesus, the Son... The second part of the Trinity is important is because he allows us access to God. The second thing that Jesus does is that he teaches us who God is. He gives us a physical representation 
but what God looks like, what he acts like, and the life that we should live because of that. All throughout the New Testament and the Gospels, you see God's instructions on how we should live, how we should live uh, in forgiveness, how we should live reconciling each other uh, with one another. We see how to love. That's why Jesus is so important. That's why the Trinity is so important. That's God in three persons. And so we have God the Father, we have Jesus, we have God the Son, and the third is God the Holy Spirit. Also known as the Holy Ghost, Spirit of Truth, and the Counselor. And now Jesus might be the most controversial among different religions, whether it be Jehovah's Witness, whether it be Islam or different things, but the Holy Spirit tends to be a little bit more controversial when it comes to Christianity as a whole and different denominations and different things. And I, I, again, I don't want to get into a lot of that tonight, but I've heard all kinds of bogus things, and it's not because God's a God of deception or controversy or anything like that. It's because people are misinformed and they don't read the Word. I, again, I was telling you, uh, the reason I'm teaching this is because I've heard so many adults that, you know, these are people who are, you know, in leadership, and I've heard them say things like, and they're like, what? Things like, well, you read the verse that says the Holy Spirit came after Jesus left, and so, you know, well, the Holy Spirit, you know, he didn't exist either before Jesus. He wasn't around the Old Testament. Whoa! Oh, that's, that stinks for the Old Testament people. And so his role was a little bit different, but uh, the first person actually uh, recorded in Scripture being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is a guy named, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it, it's in Exodus 31, Bezalel. I don't know if I pronounced it. Julie, what do you think? My guy's name? Does that mean? Okay. We can't find a guy's name, so every time I think of something, I, I throw it out there. He was filled with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of building a tabernacle. And so in the Old Testament, people were filled usually for a temporary purpose. The Spirit would fill that person up. He would uh, kind of give them uh, you know, the ability to do something and then, and then move on. In the New Testament, as we were going to read, Jesus was filled that person. He would live inside of you forever. Okay. So we're going to read John 16. I'm going to close up with talking a little bit about the Holy Spirit. If you guys have your Bible, John 16, 8 through 5, we're going to look at this real quick and close up with this. Verse 8 through 15. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, in regard to sin because men do not believe in me, in regard to righteousness because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. You will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a while, you will see me again. So we read that passage of Scripture, and that really gives us kind of the roles of the Holy Spirit. And as it, as it says, the Spirit wasn't going to come until Jesus leaves. Jesus was on earth, and he was really, um, he was affecting where he was. But he wasn't 
omniscient like the, the, the Spirit would be. And so we, we have a few things that the Holy Spirit does. First, to convict the world of sin and call it to repentance. And a lot of times we think of this as just for unbelievers. Well, that's not true even in our own lives. But when we get the sense of the Spirit, that's someone who convicts us. And we should be praying, God, show us what in our life is out of whack, what's out of place. But this is also something, this is something why we pray over and over again. When we have uh, students that don't know Christ, students on a Friday night, we pray over and over that the Spirit would convict them, that they would understand that they're living contrary to God's word. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does is convict us. Same thing that the Spirit does is reveal God's standard of righteousness. And this is important. See, God, or Jesus isn't walking the earth anymore to represent how we should actually live. And so we have to rely on the Spirit to kind of uh, work in our heart and to urge us and to teach us what's right and what's wrong. Does that make sense? And we don't have Jesus here to, to tell us what we should watch on television. It doesn't talk about television in the Bible. And so we rely on the Spirit, and that's just an example, to kind of convict us of what we should and how we should live in, in, in righteousness. The third thing the Spirit does is guide believers into all truth. Guide believers into all truth. And that's what it says there in that scripture. And this is all about growth and maturity. Many of you have been Christians for many years. You've grown up in the church. Some of you, just a few weeks. Some of you are on the fence. I'm like, I don't even know uh, if I believe in all this stuff. But the job of the Spirit is to lead you into all truth. And so if I were to bring a couple of you up, and two of you were best friends, and one of you was, you know, someone you didn't know before, and I started to ask you guys, well, tell me something you know about this person. The person you had been there a long time, you could go over and over, you could say, I know their favorite song, I know their favorite show, I know the way they dress, I know what their birthday is. You could tell me thing after thing after thing after thing after that person. Someone you don't know very well, you'd be, you'd be able to look at him and say, well, he's got this color hair and he's wearing this right now and his name is this. And you begin to run out of things to say. And for you guys, as you're a Christian, the more time you spend with God, the Spirit begins to reveal truth to you and you begin to mature and you begin to understand, you begin to acknowledge who God is and what He's like, the way He wants you to live. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit. It's like a couple that grows deeper in relationship with each other the longer that they're together. And so tonight, like I said, it is, is very not a challenging message that says I want you guys to go out and change the world. But I hopefully you picked up on something that you didn't know before. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was just one of those things. Maybe you learned something about Jesus. Maybe you learned something about the Holy Spirit. Maybe you learned something about God the Father. But I hope you picked up on something. And this is going to be a building block for the next couple of weeks as we talk about who God is. This is going to set the stage as we talk about God's sovereignty. We're going to set the stage as we talk about uh, a God who restores. And I know, you know I, I'm not going to give you an action step to go from here and do this. But if, if, if anything I said tonight raised questions, I hope it did. Possibly may have confusion, and, 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 and that's a good thing. That means you're actually listening and you want to know answers. So I challenge you. If you had questions from something I said tonight, 
ask me. Ask Aaron. Ask one of the other adults. And I don't want you to walk out of here saying, well, my life wasn't completely radically changed. Sometimes it's important for us to go over those fundamentals, to be able to make sure we know what we believe. We're not going to go do alley-oop dunks and bicycle kicks and do big things for God if we don't understand the fundamentals. And so I just thought it was important this week that we really hammer these down when we have a couple weeks to, to get into that. All right? And so with that, if you guys would pray with me, we will be dismissed. Thank you guys for listening. God, we come before you tonight. God, what a great God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. God, and I pray that the understanding of who you are, God in three persons, wouldn't drive us away from you, God. It would drive us to our knees to worship you. That we would be in awe and wonder of a God that we can't comprehend. That we're okay saying that we are small and you are big. You are wise and we are not. You are great. God, I pray that you would begin to help grow these students in this element as we begin to work on these fundamentals, God, that we would begin to exercise, we'd be able to grow our, our knowledge of who you are. God, just like a sports team would do as they get better and better, practice after practice, God, this is just another practice of us digging into your word, sharpening our skills, sharpening our knowledge, that we can hold ourselves accountable to those who ask us and we can provide a reason for our faith and defend it. God, tell you, you would go with us from this place. God, as we told that Friday night, I pray that the students that would normally come here, God, that they would make good decisions, that as they're not here, they would begin to wonder the things of God. They would begin to wonder and ponder spiritual questions, God, that they would miss this place, that they would miss the joy and the hope that's found here. They would bring us back next week, ready to go, ready to teach your word. God, we love you and praise you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed. If you guys want to sign up for the trip,